Today is uh, part two of our series called Defining Moments, where we're looking at the, the initial defining moments of God's story as found in Scripture. If you were with us last week, you know I said this, and if you weren't with us, let me just uh, repeat it. This is actually the first of uh, multiple series that we're going to do periodically throughout the course of the next year or so, where we're just going to walk you straight through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So I know many of you excited about that as we uh, continue on with this. Now, as I shared with you as well last week, really the story of the Bible, uh, you know, there's a bunch of characters, a bunch of timelines and genealogies, and there's all kinds of stories that are found in it. However, it's really just one story. It's the story of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of Jesus. Even in the parts that it's not as evident that he's there in the Old Testament, he is still there. In fact, we looked at that last week, that Jesus was there at creation. Remember, we learned this concept of the, the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, he is the Holy Spirit. And it's Jesus, he, he speaks the world into creation, all the universe, everything that there is. He started, he spoke it. And that's exciting news for us that Jesus is always a part of the story. Because if he's always a part of the big story, guess what? That means he's always a part of your story as well. And so we looked at that, how he was speaking into it. And God the Father gave the promises. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. That one day I'm going to send my son Jesus to the world. And once and for all, Satan will be defeated. Sin and death and darkness and everything. Hell even itself will be destroyed. And so today we're going to just sort of continue along with the story. Now I encouraged you that as we began to sort of read through the Bible for yourself this next year, and if you have a smartphone, you can just download the YouVersion app, and there's all kinds of Bible reading plans that you'll find there. And if you read along this past week throughout the, the book of Genesis, you notice that Adam and Eve's descendants, what happened to them was they just kept getting more and more and more sinful. And finally God says, I've had it. I'm going to start all over again. And so he, he floods the earth. And you know the story probably of Noah. Many of you, you know, you grew up with that particular story. And uh, Noah and his family, they survive. But what happens? Noah and his family's descendants, they fall back right into that very predictable pattern of sin. And things get really, really bad again. And eventually God says, you know what? These people, they're all speaking the same language and everything, so I'm going to confuse their language. And you read this past week about the Tower of Babel, and, and now all of a sudden there's all these nations and, and different people groups, and they're speaking these different languages. But still, they persisted on in their sin. And God says, all right, I, I'm going to try something different now. Instead of individuals at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to start a new nation, and it's going to be my nation. And... It'll be where I'm their God and these are my people. And so he has to find one perfect person. Not that anybody's perfect, but one righteous person that he can use to get this nation started. Now, if you were going to start a, a brand new nation and all their descendants are going to be a part of this nation, wouldn't you start with somebody like maybe in their, I don't know, mid to late 20s, early 30s, you know, that, you know, got a, it's a husband and wife, and they got their whole, their whole life ahead of them. They're, they're full of energy, and they're roaring, and, and they're ready to go. That, that's how we would do the story, right? But that's not how God decides to do the story. Instead, he chooses a man by the name of Abram. He later would become Abraham. 
He's 75 years old. His wife, Sarai, who would later become Sarah, she's 65 years old. That's who God chooses. Now you're going, oh, well, that makes sense, Gilbert. That means they already had a bunch of kids, and they had a bunch of grandkids, and so now there's going to be like all these people that are going to be able to start this nation. Well, nope, that's not how the story goes. Abraham, 75. Sarah, 65. They have no children, but yet one day God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to use you to start my nation, my people. And one day your descendants will be so vast that you won't even be able to count. In fact, look up at the stars, Abraham. Try to count the stars. You can't even count the stars. He says your descendants are going to be more than that. Look at the grains of sand here in the desert. There's going to be more of your descendants than grains of sand here in the desert. Abraham just shakes his head. He's like, this is crazy talk. I'm 75, my wife's 65. There is no way that we're going to have one child, much less all these descendants. But here's what you need to understand. God's story and our story is completely different. Authors uh, Max Lucado and Randy Frazee, they've said this, that when you read through Scripture, there's sort of two stories that are going on, two storylines. There's the lower story, that's the story. You're actually reading, in this case, we're going to read about Abraham. But then there's a sort of an upper story as well. And that's where God is working behind the scenes. This is where the Holy Spirit is doing his work. This is where we see Jesus, even in the stories of the Old Testament, doing his work as well. So today we're going to look at this lower story of Abraham, where to us, we're going, a man 75, a wife 65, there is no way that this could happen. That's the lower story. That's the story that we often live. This is the story that, you know, as you read throughout Scripture in the lower story, they're people just like us. They have doubts and fears and concerns. They have joys. They have difficulties just like us. But in the upper story that we're going to look at today, God's going to go, you know what? There's nothing that's impossible for me. I can do all things. What we're going to do is we're going to use this lower story of Abraham, a great story of faith that he has to inspire us in our own faith. But then we're going to look at this upper story and how there is nothing that's impossible for God. And we're going to use that story to see how Jesus is actually in this story as well. So, with that said, speaking of Jesus, look at his words in Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says, everything is possible for the person who has what? For the person who has? For the person who has faith. My question to you this morning is this. In what area of life right now is God asking you to have faith? What area of life is God saying, I need you to trust me in this? Yes, it looks impossible. But with me, nothing is impossible. What is that for you? What's he asking you to do? Now, if you're taking notes this morning, what I want to do is I want to walk you through sort of six steps of any time you're going through one of these things where God asks you to do something big, that, that you're going to have a, a faith journey. So there on your, on your outline, here's the first thing. Number one, I'm going to have a dream. This is where God always starts. It's an idea. It's a goal. It's a, a vision of what the future could look like. And that's what happens with Abraham. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God told Abram, again, who would later become Abraham, leave your country, your family, 
and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I will make you a what? I will make you a, a great nation and bless you. I'm going to make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you and those who curse you I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's pretty cool, right? God comes to you and says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a, a nation. That's, that's pretty awesome. Now, Abraham at the time was living in a uh, nation called Haran. Now, Haran is in modern-day south-central Turkey. And he, he's got everything. We know that Abraham at this point, he actually had a lot of livestock and stuff. He was a rich man for his day and time. And he, he's got all the comforts of life. He's in his comfort zone. He's got his family all around. But God says, I want you to leave this land. And I just want you to start walking. Just trust me. Start walking and I'm going to give you a land that will be your own. And you're going to become a great nation. He doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. He just says, start walking and I'll let you know when you get there. And doesn't God do that with you sometimes? He says, I just want you to have faith. I want you to just take that next step. And you don't know exactly where it's all going to end up at, but just take the next step. And to take the next step, you've got to take the, the first step, don't you? you just got to take a step. Now, for Abraham, he just starts walking. And he ends up in what is now modern-day Jerusalem in, in Israel, 539 miles away from Haran. Now, to put that into perspective for you, that's almost to the mile of what it would be for you to walk from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Indianapolis, Indiana. And you're walking, or maybe you got a camel. No GPS, no map. Of course, he didn't need a GPS or map. Why? Because God didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, start walking. Take this step of faith. And that's exactly what Abraham did. And for us, we're going to have to decide, are we going to get out of our comfort zone or not? Am I going to trust God or not? Which leads to number two. You, you have this dream, you have this vision, you have this sort of goal. Number two then, I'll need to make a decision. You've got to make a decision because nothing is going to happen until you actually put your faith into action. James, the, the brother of Jesus at one point, he says this in James chapter 1, verse 6, and then we'll look at uh, verse 8 as well. James says, you must believe and not doubt. A double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. James, later on, he says this. Essentially, look, unless you put your faith into action, then your faith is dead. You don't really have faith if you're not actually acting upon your faith. And so Abraham, in this incredible act of faith, he decides, you know what? Following God's voice is greater to me and following God's lead, following the, the Spirit of God, it's more important to me than all the doubts that are going through my own mind and all the doubts of everybody else in my, in my neighborhood here in Haran. I'm just going to trust God and I'm just going to start taking steps of faith. And so in Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 then we read, Abram was 75 years old when the Lord told him to leave the city of Haran. He obeyed and he left with his wife Sarai his nephew Lot, and all the possessions and servants that, it, that they had gotten while in Haran. Now, many, many years later, about 2,000 years later, the author of the book of Hebrews, he's writing uh, in chapter 11, we call it the, the uh, Hall of Fame of Faith. And he's talking about various people that had great faith. 
And here's what the author says there, Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The key words there is obeyed and went. He put his faith into action. What we need to realize is that faith is a verb. Faith is action. Faith is actually doing something with what you believe. Now let's be honest. That's scary, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to have a vision from God and go, oh, wow, this is so cool. God's giving me this vision to do this thing. But then to actually start to take steps to make it happen, that's pretty scary. For Abraham, he had to leave behind everything that was safe and comfortable. Think about Peter. In order to walk on the water, Peter had to do what? Step out of the boat. It's one thing when Jesus said, hey, come on out. Water's nice. <laughs> but then to actually get up and start taking those steps, that's when he proved that his faith was for real. So it's not enough just to have a dream. Eventually you have to make a decision that I'm going to act upon this. Now, here's the problem. I've shared this with you before. We live in a microwave society, don't we? We want results, and we want results when? Right now. And guess what? When, when God gives you this dream, when he gives you this vision, and you start to take steps of faith, it's not going to be like the next day, or sometimes the next week, or even the next month, or maybe even the next year, until what he promised you comes true. And that can be frustrating. But let's face it, most of the time that's how it happens. And that's point three there on your outline. Oftentimes, I will face a delay. Now the question you probably have is, Gilbert, why would God ask me to do something and then I actually do it and now he delays the results that he promised me? And the answer to that is pretty simple. He wants to see, do you really trust him or not? Will you persevere through whatever it is that he's called you to do? See, if he just gave you a dream and you take the first step and automatically, you know, you just got the results, that's too easy. That, that's, not, that's not really stretching your faith. Now, at least you took that first step. That was a step of faith. But remember, it's not about the results. It's about a relationship with him. That, that's what he wants most. And a part of a, a good relationship is going through some tough times together. Having an experience. Uh, I got an update a little bit earlier. Maybe some of you got an even uh, later update. But the, the boys that are trapped in the cave over in, in Thailand, they've got six of them out now. You know? And hopefully, you know, they'll get the rest of them out. A very dangerous thing. But don't you think that these last two weeks, that this will be a bonding experience for these kids? Now, they were already bonded together as a team, but even more so. They went through a, a, a difficult time together, and there's been delays in, in getting them out. Guess what? It's, it's stretching their faith. And God's going to do the same thing for you. But here's what I want you to remember. A delay does not mean a denial. Just because God's delaying it doesn't mean that he's denying what he said to you. If God promised it to you, if you know that you know that you know that you know that you are acting on something that God asked you to do, 
and it's according to his word, he will come through. A promise is a promise. So again, delay does not mean denial. Abraham, he, he faced a delay. Now remember, he left his family, he left everything that was safe and comfortable to go 539 miles because God had promised to make him into a great nation. But look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Lisa will tell you that uh, when I'm frustrated, my favorite saying is this, are you kidding me? You ever said that one before? Are you kidding me? And Abraham has to be thinking this. He's going, wait a second, God. I obeyed. I did what it was that you wanted me to do. I, I took these steps of faith. I, I moved over 500 miles away from home. You promised me you were going to make me into a great nation. And now there's a famine in the land. I've got to leave here. Are you kidding me? 300 more miles he has to go to Egypt in order to just survive. But again, a delay is not denial. You just need to keep trusting that God has a plan and God will come through. Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, we read this. Don't be impatient. Do what? What's it say? What's the next word? Wait for the Lord and He will come and save you. Be brave, stout-hearted, and courageous. Yes. What? Yes. Wait and He will help you. The key is you just got to wait. Now for Abraham, again, he's going, are you kidding me? I've been waiting. Because when this famine comes along, it's now been 10 years that he's actually been down in Jerusalem in what will eventually become modern-day Israel. 10 years he's been waiting. 10 years since the dream. 10 years since the promise. And many of you find yourself in a similar situation. You've been waiting and praying for years for God to fix your marriage. You've been waiting and praying for years for God to, to deliver your addicted child. You've been waiting and praying for years that your loved one would come into a relationship with Jesus. And you keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're going, are you kidding me? When is this ever going to happen? You know, for me, it's been eight years since we moved here and started Exponential. Eight years, and God has promised us some pretty cool things, some great things as a church body. And eight years ago, going, all right, God, when's it happening, right? But you just keep on persevering through. You just keep on waiting. You keep on trusting because a promise is a promise. Now, often the delays that you face in your dream are because of point number four then on your outline. In the pursuit of the dream, I will face difficulties. Now, it's bad enough that you've got to wait, but now there's problems while you're waiting that happens as well. And difficulties come in many different forms, especially when it comes to a dream that God's given you. Uh, but let me give you two of them. One is circumstances that are wrong and, and are, prevent, are uh, giving you difficulties. The other is people. For Abraham, it was both of these things. Remember, God has promised to make him and his descendants into his great nation. What's the circumstance that's bad for him? Well, number one, 
he's no longer even in the land where he knows he's supposed to be because there's a famine in that land. He's now in Egypt. That's bad circumstance. Number two, he and his wife, they're getting older and older. They don't have any kids. That's bad circumstance. And then he's got a particular person in his life that's getting very impatient. And that person is his wife, Sarah. Now she's the one going, are you kidding me? (laughs) We've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing has happened. She goes, hey, I've got a good idea. I've got a really good idea. Let's, uh, let's take matters into our own hands. Let's sort of shortcut God's plan. And so she decides, again, she's going to take matters into her own hands, or in this case, we could say she decides to take matters out of her own bedroom. In Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. You see how this is already going to turn out bad? Sarah makes the mistake that many of us do. She wants to speed along the process. She wants to play the role of the Holy Spirit. And sort of nudge things along a little bit faster. But in the process of taking a shortcut, it ends in disaster. Now, let's give her a little bit of credit. By the time this takes place, 25 years have passed. 25 years of waiting for God's promise. I mean, some of us, we can't even wait 25 minutes for God's promise when he gives it, right? We get impatient. And we we start to try to manipulate the situation and and make it the way that we want it to be. But again, that always leads in disaster. For Abraham, he ends up sleeping with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. She gives birth to a son by the name of Ishmael. Guess who traces their lineage back to Ishmael? Don't say it. I know you know it. Anybody take a wild guess? Yep, Islam. Muslims, Muhammad. Listen, every time you hear about a 9-11 or jihad or a terrorist attack that, you know, uh, Muslim-related, that can all be traced back to Abraham and Sarah shortcutting what God wanted to do. Think about that. All this bad that we see can all be traced back to that, a bad decision. So we can't shortcut God. we got to persevere through the difficulties. Now again, you're going, Gilbert, why is God doing this? I mean, if he, if he truly loves me and he truly wants me to have this, why the delays? Why all the difficulty? Well, one of Jesus' followers, a man by the name of Peter, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. These trials are only to do what? These trials are only to... Test your faith and to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. 
And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of his return. Peter is saying here basically, look, how you respond to delays, how you respond to difficulties, that, that tells whether your faith is pure or not, whether it's a genuine faith or not. Are you going to trust God even when it doesn't seem that he's coming through on his promise? Number five then. Sometimes it's going to feel like my faith is at a dead end. And you know what? If that's true of you, congratulations, because guess what? Many, many of the stories that we read in Scripture, people got to that place where it seemed like they were at a dead end, that all hope was lost. But guess what? When you're at a dead end, you're now a candidate for a miracle. Because miracles can't come unless there's first a problem. You're right exactly where God wants you to be. That's where Abraham found himself, at a dead end. It's now been 24 years of waiting and hoping. And then one day, God appears to him and he says, Abraham, one year from now, Sarah will have a son, a son of her own. Now, Sarah, she's sort of nearby and she overhears this conversation with God and she laughs. And we read this then in Genesis chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. Because remember, Abraham's 99 now. Sarah, she's, she's just wore out, <laughs> right? They, they've tried to have kids. And, and so she hears this, yeah, you're going to have a child. And she's like, ha, 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 that's funny. Here's what we read. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? I am the Lord. There is nothing too difficult for me. I'll come back next year at this time that I promised, and Sarah will already have a son. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. If you're here this morning and you're at a dead end in whatever it is that God has promised you, it feels like a dead end, or if you ever come to a, a dead end in the future, I want you to remember these words that God spoke to Abraham. He says this, there is nothing too difficult for me. Remember that. There is nothing too difficult for me, says God. So keep waiting. Keep holding on. Because finally, number six, as you go through this journey, just as God promised, I will eventually get deliverance. Abraham's story, despite some bumps in the road, actually happens. God's promise comes true. Why? Because a promise from God is a promise. Genesis 21 verses 1 to 3. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said that he would and he did for Sarah what he had promised him. Abraham named his son. Uh, whoops, I skipped a little bit. So Sarah became pregnant and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son whom Sarah bore to him Isaac. Now, I want you to look at the first part of the verse there again. The Lord did what? The Lord visited Sarah. You know, Abraham and, and Sarah, they had been trying for many years, you know, how 
people try to have kids, right? They, they had tried that for many years, and it hadn't happened. But now the Lord visits Sarah, and all of a sudden, she's able to get pregnant. She's 99. That's a what? It's a? It's a miracle. I mean, this is almost as miraculous as, say, a virgin getting visited by God and having a child. She gives birth to a son by the name of Isaac, and it's through Isaac and, and then uh, yeah, yeah, through the, the, the rest of the, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, then down through uh, Jacob's 12 sons and stuff that all these descendants, you know, eventually the, the nation of Israel is formed. So the promise does come true. They get exactly what it is that God had promised them. And whatever it is that God has promised you, he will deliver on that. But there may be some delays, there may be some difficulties. There may be a couple, are you kidding me, <laughs> that are in there. But that's okay because again, if it came from God, nothing can stop his promise to you. Now, most of you think that I'm about to say, that's it, amen, story's over. But it's not. When Isaac's somewhere in his teen years or so, you know, just getting his camel driving permit, uh, God decides he's going to stretch Abraham's faith once again. And so turn to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. He puts him through this whole process all over again, basically. Now remember, he's finally had a son. He's an old man. He has a son. And this is the, this is the miracle. And, and this is the, the son of the promise. This is the son that's going to be, you know, uh, give him more descendants than there are stars in the sky and, and, and uh, sand, uh, or, uh, grains of sand on the, on the desert there. He finally has him. He's growing up. He's almost to, you know, the age that he can now start to have a family and have children. And we read this, verses 1 to 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Did you catch that? God tells him, sacrifice your one and only son. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice that word, we. He's told to go sacrifice his son, but yet he is confident that we are going to come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. 
but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? They have been doing devotions together, apparently, because he knew that in order for there to be a sacrifice, there had to be the lamb to sacrifice. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, before I keep going on, again, amazing faith that Abraham has here. He told his servants, we will return. And he's saying to Isaac, look, God will provide the sacrifice. I don't know yet how it's going to happen, but God's going to provide the sacrifice. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Still has faith, though, that God is going to deliver. We continue on. It says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place what? What did he call the place? What's it say? The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now again, spoiler alert. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, they eventually become what's called the nation of Israel. Eventually, Abraham's descendants are more vast than the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. Now, when the people went in to conquer the land of what we now call Israel, they took and they changed a lot of the the names of the various places. Now, keep that in mind because remember I told you at the beginning that there are two stories that are being told. There's the upper story and there's the lower story. In the lower story today, we saw Abraham and his faith. And hopefully his story of faith has helped to expand our faith as well. And we've learned what it is to to walk through in faith, even though you may face some delays and some difficulties along the way. In the lower story, Abraham is told by God to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, on a hill in the region of Moriah. Now, ultimately... That region of Moriah became the modern-day city of Jerusalem. That's the lower story. Go to the region of Moriah, and on the hill that I show you, sacrifice your one and only son. God in the upper story was already preparing for 2,000 years later, when in that very same region, on that very same hill, He would sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus, so that our sin might be forgiven. Isn't that incredible? We call this type and shadow in Scripture, that that many of the stories in the Old Testament are actually prophetically pointing to the story of Jesus. And again, there we see it. There we see the story of Jesus being played out right there in the Old Testament, which makes Abraham's words in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, even more profound. So Abraham called that place what? What's it say? You got it, uh, Evan, give me the next one there. Next slide. Or is it, uh, maybe there isn't the next slide. All right, 
Um, it's the last one here. What's it say? So Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. Here's what you need to understand. You have a story as well. And there's two stories. Your, your lower, lower story where you face trials and difficulties and joins, joys and pains and concerns and you know just all the ups and downs of life. And whatever it is that God has promised you, realize that a promise is a promise. And the Lord will provide. But there's an upper story in your life as well. And in this story, it's a battle that's going on. A battle between good and evil. It's a battle where angels are fighting on your behalf. This is your, your eternal story. This is the story of where are you going to spend eternity? Will it be eternally present with God forever in heaven or eternally separated from him in a very real place called hell? And listen, what you do in your lower story, that doesn't get you to heaven. You can't be good enough. Your lower story can't be good enough. You can't do enough good. You can't give enough to God. You can't have, you know, uh, enough, enough good things that you do. It's only because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that your sins can be forgiven. You see, again, Jesus did for you something you can't do for yourself. The Lord will provide. And on that hill one day, that mountain, the Lord provided for you a way of salvation. That if you'll put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus, if you'll ask him to forgive you of your sins, if you'll ask him to come in and take control of your life, he'll do that. He'll provide for you in the lower story, He'll provide for you in the upper story as well. That's good news. That just as God had promised, as we learned last week, that one day I'm going to take care of your sin once and for all, that promise got fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And he wants to fulfill the promise to you in your lower story as well. But it can't be your story. It can't be your hopes and your dreams and your goals for life of a bigger car and a fancier house and you know, getting the kids onto the right soccer team or into the right college. That's, that's not the story he wants you to tell. It's not about raises and bonuses and promotions and all those things that we so often chase after. He says, will you follow me? Will you do the thing I've called you to do with your one and only life? And if you'll do that, if you'll listen to my voice, I will provide. Because a promise is a promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to look at this amazing story of the faith of Abraham, who just persevered year after year after year after year. Why? Because he knew he had heard clearly from you and he just obeyed. He took those steps of faith in obedience. Even though he didn't know where he was going, even though he didn't know how it was possible that he and his wife could have a son, he just kept saying, God, I trust you. I'm going to obey you. And even when he stumbled and he, he messed up, God, you were still there to, to show him grace and mercy and love and use him to fulfill the promise that you had given to him. 
And so, Lord, I pray that that's an encouragement for all of us here today, that even if we've messed up in the past, even if we've done wrong in the past, God, you still have a plan for us. You have a purpose for us. But it's not our plan and our purpose. It's, it's your eternal purposes. And so help us to, to just seek you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to, to just ask you each and every day, God, what is it that you would have me to do with this one and only life that you've given to me? And God, whatever it is, no matter how crazy it sounds, we would just walk in obedience. We would walk in faith, realizing that there is nothing too difficult for the Lord to do. And Lord, in the midst of trials and tribulation and delays and difficulties, help us to just persevere and say, God, I don't understand it all, but you're using this to, to refine me and to shape me and to mold me more and more and more into your image and likeness. And so, Lord, it's really just about being obedient to you and your voice. So help us to get rid of our own agenda and to be obedient to your agenda. And Lord, we thank you for giving your son Jesus on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven so that we can have eternal life. Lord, help us to walk in that reality. Help us to remind it that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Satan's going to try to beat us up and tell us that we're no good or that we can't do this or we can't do this or God would never use somebody like you. But that's just Satan telling us lies. God, all things are possible with you. Not because of who we are, not because of our own strength, but because of the power of your spirit that lives within us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Help us to walk in that reality each and every day of our lives. I pray all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.